Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Jonathan Monk. I get to serve on staff here as our high school youth pastor. So grateful to be able to teach from the scriptures this morning. Well, as you heard in the video, we have a lot going on. Uh, and I want to read a, a blessed story that we have that I think will inspire us to do the very thing that Doug and Tracy were just talking about, a, a neighbor connection about getting the, the bread out there and then the Advent uh, devotional. So here's a story from a person here in our body that, that they sent this to Doug uh, this past week. She says, Dale and I wrestled with how to use the money that the church gave out to use the bless, to, 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 uh, to bless someone. And we were discussing ideas. We saw in the opportunity, we saw an opportunity right out our window. We have a neighbor whose backyard touches ours in the corner, and we've been neighbors for over two years, but we could not tell you their names. So we bought a $20 Publix gift card and made up a small gift basket with some other items to take, uh, to take to them. I specifically labeled the gift card as coming from the church as their first introduction to CFC. Nervously, I walked it around to the home and introduced myself. Since that time, we have become friends, sharing Christmas gifts, talking over the fence, and just sharing life together. Well, realizing the success of that first encounter, we have now made a basket for a different neighbor each holiday. The baskets are not elaborate, just a gift card from Publix and some items that may go with the holiday. So thanks to the push, I mean, the encouragement from Doug, now we know most everyone in the neighborhood and still plan to meet more, especially with Thanksgiving and Christmas coming. So that is our story, and we will continue to write chapters as we continue to meet new people. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family, Marcy Browning. So thank you, Marcy, for that story. Great, great uh, story that inspires us, that God has us in our neighborhood. As Doug talked about a few weeks ago, we want to be, be light. We want to we shine brightly to our neighbors. And so, again, as they talked about great uh, neighbor connection, and so Alice and I want to pick up that bread. I believe that bread was made on Friday. So let's give our neighbors fresh bread, not stale bread. Uh, and so Alice and I, we love to walk in our neighborhood. And so we hope either maybe today or tomorrow before Thanksgiving to be a blessing to our, our neighbors. So, well, as they also talked about um, Thanksgiving, the worship night is coming up on, on Tuesday night. So we're excited for that. If you're unfamiliar with that night, there's really two things that take place on that night. We meet right in here, 7 p.m., and there is singing, and then there's a time where a little bit of an open mic where people share testimonies. And my wife and I always look forward to that. It's just cool to see what God's doing within the body as people share testimonies. And so uh, today is obviously Sunday. We're two days away from that. And so I'll go first. Uh, I'll kind of start maybe sharing a testimony now just to get you thinking of what you might share on Tuesday if you'd like. So, um, so anyways, so testimony of what God's been doing in my life. Maybe some of you know this is uh, just a kind of a hard where God really worked in a powerful way. So uh, it was Labor Day weekend, and I was at our high school retreat. It's called Breakaway, and I was with students and teaching the Bible. Awesome weekend. Um, but then middle of the weekend, I began to experience some symptoms Long story short, I went and did some testing, and through the result of that testing, uh, the doctor told me that I had a, had a mass in my colon. Totally surprised by that, and long story short, they said, you need to have surgery to have this, this mass removed. By God's grace, we were able to find a surgeon super fast, all within a week or so, and then right before my surgery, I met with an oncologist at Baptist South, and they told me that the mass was, it was colon cancer. And so all of this is just so much to take in. And so I went in for surgery just uh, October 4th. And uh, we had prayed that the Lord would, would take this cancer away. 
that uh, one and done and that I wouldn't have to go through chemo. And the oncologist kind of said, you may need chemo. And so anyways, went in uh, to surgery and very thankful to share that uh, the cancer was t- uh, removed, it hasn't spread, and I'm not going to need chemotherapy. So very, very grateful for that. Yeah. Very uh, grateful. Yeah. To see how the Lord does answer prayer. So I'm very grateful. I remember the night before I went into my surgery, someone asked me, can you imagine walking through this without the body of Christ? And I thought about that question all week long as I was in the hospital. And as I thought about that question, I was experiencing the body of Christ through text messages, through prayers, people coming by the hospital, people bringing meals. I mean, there's a lot of ways that people were praying. Let me show you one picture. This was before the surgery. This is our students. Uh, If you're watching online, you can look right here. So um, this was the Sunday, two days before our surgery, and students just gathered in our high school building, and they they prayed. So a lot of people were praying, and I've been just thankful for the way you guys have been a blessing to my uh, to my family, uh, people coming by our house, and it's just been it's been encouraging. Uh, Doug even came by the the second my second day home. Doug 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 and Jackie came over uh, with his own recliner, and, and he yeah, and he let me borrow his recliner because I wasn't sleeping well. Now that was several weeks ago, and I still have that recliner. So um, maybe I'll keep it. I don't know, but uh, he'll. I think he's going to come get it someday. But anyways. Oh man, but it's been, it's just been grateful to see how, how the Lord has, has, has worked. The Lord has used this body to, to comfort my, to comfort my family. Super grateful for that. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to look in the scriptures. I want to look in the scriptures because I believe and you believe that there is comfort when we look in the scriptures. And what I want to do is I want to take a passage of scripture that the the Lord has used to comfort me. And my goal and my prayer in the last week or so is I want to comfort hurting people. And I want to comfort hurting people with this passage, Psalm 13. And the title of this message is A Song for the Hurting Heart, which is, I think that's what, what Psalm 13 is. And I recognize that, um, you know, not everybody uh, is maybe experiencing something hard right now, but I think we've all experienced something hard in the past or we will in the future, but there, there are some of us in this room that you are experiencing some, some, uh, some degree of something hard. It may not be cancer, but maybe you're, you're waiting the test results, and maybe, and th- this may be your heart. They actually, you hear me share that news of how God's answered a prayer and cancer's gone, but maybe your heart is you haven't received that news yet. Either you for, for, or for a family member. That's hard. Uh, maybe your heart is related to, to work. We have a lot of business owners here at CFC, so maybe as a business owner, there's a lot of pressure on you right now, and maybe you're experiencing uh, financial stress, so there's just a lot going on in your company, and maybe that's your heart. Maybe your heart is not work-related. Maybe it's relational-related, whether that's within your marriage. Maybe there's stress in your marriage, or you're single and you have a desire to be married, and maybe that's hard. Maybe your heart is, is maybe it is work-related with, with someone that, whether it's your boss or someone at work. Maybe your heart is, uh, as Doug, I think, talked about just a few weeks ago, you've had a child walk away from the Lord or has yet to walk with the Lord. Maybe your heart is you have been uh, trying to have kids, but you can't. That, that's hard. Maybe... Um, 
your heart is, um, yeah, there's a, I could go on and on. But my, my point is, I, I recognize, man, there's some, there's some things in this room that are, that are difficult. And I don't want to imagine that I know what everyone's going through. I just simply, you know, I shared my own story with you. But I, I do believe that the scripture comforts us. And I think sometimes in the, in the hard, there's a lot of different ways that we can respond. As I think about the day that I was at Baptist South and that oncologist said, yeah, this is cancer. I mean, how are you supposed to respond to that? I mean, I remember walking out and getting into the parking garage over there and I'm just like, what am I, what am I supposed to say to Allison? I mean, what, what words are you supposed to say? I mean, that, that's, that's, that's hard. And so there's a lot of different ways that we can respond. And I know that um, sometimes when people are in the midst of hard, they may respond by just, hey, everything's going to be okay. Uh, maybe sometimes people are like, I'm just going to put on a happy face. I'm just going to push through this. For some, they, they go to some sort of a substance or they, they turn to drugs or alcohol or they numb themselves with hours of TV or social media. What I have done in the midst of heart is I just want to isolate myself from people. Or what I have often done is I'm just going to busy myself with work and just distract myself with work. I'll take work home and just work as hard as possible so I don't have to think about the current hard in my life. So we, we respond a lot of different ways. But I, I want us to look at what does the scripture say and how does scripture give hope? Because I think hope is given to us in the midst of heart in a lot of different places in the Bible that we could go to. And so obviously I want to take us to this psalm because I think psalms are super comforting. In fact, a guy came up to me Thursday night and he said that he was in the hospital for three weeks. And he said, I opened to the psalms when I first got there and I never left the psalms for three weeks, three weeks, an older gentleman just highlighting through his Bible. And so I, I've been walking with the Lord uh, for about 15 years now. And I think Psalms really has become one of my favorite books. It's the, pla- it's the place that the Lord often takes me back to. And it's the place where he's brought me back to over the last several weeks. And the Psalms, I love how uh, Eugene Peterson puts it. Eugene Peterson says, whereas, um, whereas all of the Bible speaks to us, of course, all of scripture speaks to us, but it's the Psalms that speak for us. In other words, when you and I don't know what to pray, when we, not, we don't know what to say to the Lord, it's the Psalms that kind of guide us. And a lot of the Psalms are written by a guy who experienced a lot of hard, David. And, and we could go on and on and, and of all the different um, hards that in David's life, but one of the hards he faced was his best friend's dad wanted to kill him. And David's on the run for, for most of his life, running and hiding in caves. And I just want you to see how David handled the hard by what he says in Psalm 13 here. So look at, look at how he handled the hard, and I really hope this would be of, of help to us this morning. This is what he says. So he starts this psalm. He says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? So let's just pause there on the first line. David is a man who has a heart for God, but he feels forgotten by God. And just imagine if you're in your family group or with a group of believers and you closed out your time in prayer and, and someone said, uh, how long, oh Lord, will you forget me forever? Like if someone prayed a prayer like that, you'd be like, wow, like, are you okay? Like what's going on? And when I read Psalm 13 and I hear David say, how long, oh Lord, will you forget me forever? I mean, it causes me to go, what's going on in David's life? 
And there's actually not a lot of historical context to this psalm as there are to other psalms. So we're not, we're not exactly sure, but we know that he feels forgotten. And the, fir, or the second line kind of develops the first line where he says, how long will you hide your face from me? And when I think about um, face, obviously God doesn't have a face, but the, the, his face, David is talking about his presence. Like Psalm 27, where it's the Lord that says to David, hey, seek my face. And David says, my heart, Lord, I, I will seek. Like, I, I will seek your face. So David is saying, are you... Your presence, have you, have, you, have you abandoned yourself or it doesn't seem like you're near? And I don't know this for sure, but I wonder if David has Numbers 6 in mind, which is a, it's a great blessing where it says, um, it says this, the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you. And, the Lord, and David's like, Lord, it doesn't feel like your face is shining upon you, upon me. Have you, have you abandoned me? And when he feels forgotten and abandoned, it leads him kind of to a, a dark place in his thinking. He begins to really wrestle with his thoughts because look at what he says in verse two. How long shall I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? So he's telling us what he's experiencing, grief or sorrow. He's, he's wrestling with his thoughts. He's not thinking clearly. And so not only does he feel super down in his thinking, but watch, which by the way, you ever been there? Just in your heart, you're just like, I can't think clearly. Man, I've been there. Just got like million thoughts running all over the place. This is, this, this is where David's at. And then he says this, how long will my enemy be exalted over me? So summary in these first two verses, David has four questions, four how long questions that describe how he feels forgotten, abandoned, grief, and defeat. And David has more questions than he does answers. I mean, have you ever been there before? Where in your heart, whatever it is, you've got all these questions that you're asking people and you're asking the Lord, but you, you're coming to the conclusion that you have more questions than you do answers. And that's exactly where, where David's at. And I think David in these first two verses is in a place where none of us want, want to be. He's in a dark, he's down spot, he, he's, he's sad. And yet... I think as, as, as dark or as sad as these first two verses seem or are, I think there's actually something really good happening here. See, I think God is doing something and God, God is at work. And here, what I love about the, this part in the psalm is when David is asking these questions, I think David is actually showing us how he handles the hard. And you may go, oh, he handles the hard by asking questions. Oh, yes, he does. But in this psalm, David is showing us how he handles the hard. And how David handles the hard is by writing a lament. A lament. And th th this is what Psalm 13 is. A lament. It's, it's kind of an unusual word. It's not a word that we use a lot. I mean, I, I was reading a sports article the other day. I found that LeBron James was lamenting over the Lakers shooting. So, I mean, so, some people may use that word. He, he may have a different meaning for it. But we, we lament in a lot of different ways. But to, to lament is to express grief. I asked a friend of mine, hey, how, how would you define the word lament? And they're like, what's well, to acknowledge deep feelings when there's not much understanding of what's going on? The word lament, is, it means this. It's a prayer in pain. You can write that down maybe at the top of your notes if, if you're a note taker. A lament 
And I'm borrowing from this, from the author of, uh, this definition from the author of Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. But a lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. It starts with questions, but it, it's, it's leading somewhere. It's leading towards trust. Here's a quote. It's an excellent book that, that I've been re- reading the last few weeks. Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. But a prayer, or, or one of my favorite quotes in this book, is uh, the author says, Lament is a prayer that leads through personal sorrow and difficult questions to the truth that anchors our soul. So lament starts with, Lord, I, I have more questions than answers. Lord, I, Lord, help me. And this is David just crying out from his heart to the Lord. And one of the things that we know about this psalm, and I see at the top of my Bible where it says Psalm 13, I have the NASB, it says prayer for help in trouble, and then right below that, do you see the, what it says in your Bible? Because in my Bible it says, for the choir director, which is just a reminder here real quick that this is a lament. It's a lament, but it's a, it's a song. It's to the choir director. So Psalm 13 is not just a sermon that would be preached, but it would be a song that would be sung by the people of God, by hurting people. And I don't know about you, but I think what makes a great song is its ability to connect. We, we connect with songs. And I was uh, listening to a song someone sent me Tuesday night. I was driving down Bay Meadows, getting on 95, and someone sent me a song from the musical Hamilton. And I've been watching it. I think it's pretty good. And um, th- th- there's this one song that I listened to, um, Uptown. If you see him in the street walking by himself, talking to himself, have pity, Philip, you would like it Uptown. It's quiet Uptown. He's, and then this next line like brought me to tears. I was like, man, this is kind of sad. Like I could connect to the song. Because what makes a song great is its ability to connect with us. And it, the, the fact, the line where it says he's working through the unimaginable. I don't know anything about Hamilton. I mean, somewhat. But I, I, I can connect with, man, I know what it's like to work through the unimaginable. What, what do I mean by the unimaginable? Well, I never imagined that I'd be walking through this. I never imagined that I would be facing this. I never imagined that I would be in this sort of circumstance. I'm working through the unimaginable. And what David is doing in Psalm 13, which is a great song of lament, is we can connect with this song because David is showing us that when we're working through the unimaginable, we pour our hearts out to the Lord. And that's what he's doing. He's teaching us to direct our laments to the Lord, not from the Lord. And we direct our laments to him because he is our only hope in sorrow. I think a lament doesn't deny our pain nor does it lead us to fall deep down into despair. A lament is, man, I'm bringing this to the Lord. Because I recognize when I look at my world, I see tragedy, but I know scripture speaks about a God who's sovereign. And I'm wrestling with both of those. I see hard, but I know God's good. Lord, help me. And this is what David is teaching us to do. Lord, he's bringing real, honest, heartfelt questions to the Lord. As you think about in your own life, what are the real questions that you have for the Lord this morning? that you could start by lamenting. So here's a question for us to think about. So first part of this psalm, David is turning to the Lord. Turning to the Lord with questions. And I want to give us a moment to write our own question. As you think about your own experience, how would you fill this in? How, how would you fill your how long in? Maybe give you a few examples here. Maybe you already know. Maybe you can go ahead and write it right now. But maybe these examples 
that are not theoretical but real might, might help and serve you. How long will I continue to be single? How long will we continue to wait to have kids? How long will my kids not sleep at night? It's funny, but it's real for some people. Because if the kids aren't sleeping, you're not sleeping either, right? How long will my kid have delays in their development? And then maybe it's not a, a question, maybe more of a statement like this. I can't keep doing this. Or this is too much for me. So yeah, David is asking questions, but sometimes lament starts with just a statement that we pour out to the Lord. So maybe just pause right there and just take a second or two. Do you have one that you could write down? What would be your how long? Just think about your own experience. How would you fill this in? I think it's hard to write those down, but I think by writing the questions and being honest with the Lord, it's a, that becomes a moment where we say, Lord, I want you to speak here. I need you. And as you think about your own how long and the heart in your own life, if you could ask the Lord for something specific this morning, what would you ask him for? Because David, in the midst of his heart, he's turning to the Lord and now he's going to make a bold request. And we see in the next verse, look at what David asked the Lord for. He says, consider and answer me, O Lord, my God, enlighten my eyes or I will sleep the sleep of death. So now David here, there's kind of three parts of this psalm. He's turning to the Lord, and now he's asking of the Lord. He's making a bold request. Turning to the Lord, asking of the Lord. And he's asking, I, I kind of un underline these words in my Bible, consider and answer. He, he is desperate. He's making a demand. Lord, I, I need you. Consider and answer me. Look to me. Oh, Lord, my God. I love that he says, my God. Because remember, this is a man who has a heart for God, who feels forgotten by God. This is a man who walks with God, who's desperate for God. Then he says, enlighten my eyes or light up my eyes. I think, I think he's simply saying, God, would you change my perspective? Your word, this is what David knows, your word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. I'm in the dark, Lord. Would you give me understanding? I don't understand what's going on. Lord, I need you. I need, I need your perspective. I think that's what he's what he's asking for here. And then he says, if you don't enlighten my eyes, lest I or I will sleep the sleep of death. I'll fall deeper into, into depression. Or he literally thinks he's going to die either by illness. Some commentators think that it's just some sort of illness that David's facing. Or he thinks he's going to die by his enemies. David goes on to say in verse 4, and my enemy will say I've overcome him and my adversaries will rejoice when I'm shaken. God, or David, a man who loves God, wants God to be glorified. I think he's wrestling through, how can God be glorified if my enemies defeat him? Or my enemies defeat me? Here's David. More questions than answers. Wrestling with the Lord. Asking for understanding. And I'm not quite sure where he's writing this from. Maybe he's in a dark cave. But we know he's in a dark place. And this is his reality. He's in a place where none of us want, want to be. He feels probably hopeless. And I think about a time in my own life where I felt hopeless. I was in the midst of the heart, and obviously it was just a few weeks ago, as I remember being in the, in the hospital. And after my surgery, I thought I was only going to be in there for two to three days, but I was in there for almost a week. And I got so sick, I, I really thought something is wrong. 
I begin to have thoughts like, has the cancer spread? I wasn't eating, sleeping. I could barely walk. I was losing weight. I wasn't thinking clearly. And at one point or over the course of two days, I really thought, man, am I going to die? Because I hadn't received the pathology report back yet. And I thought, are, are they like, are the doctors just not telling me this? And I, I just felt so down. I was like, man, I, maybe, maybe I'm not getting out of the hospital. And they would tell me, hey, you know, the nurses were awesome. And they'd be like, you need to go and walk. And I felt so like humiliated by having to walk with a walker. And I had like a nightgown on and red socks. And I just was like, could barely make it a, a lap around the hospital. And I used to, I was having thoughts like, man, I am 37 years old. And just a few weeks ago, I was playing basketball with high schoolers and teaching the Bible and having so much fun. Like, what's going on here? And I just was wrestling with the Lord. Like, I can't believe I'm in a circumstance. How am I in here? And I was, I just felt dizzy. I couldn't read scripture. I remember one time a person came by and they tried to read Romans 8 to me, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. But I think in, in, in pride, I was reluctant to hear that. And my literal, actual words were, at one point, what the heck, Lord? I don't mean to offend anybody in here, but that's literally what I said. And I think in those moments of, there was a moment where I was lamenting, but I also think there was moments where I needed to confess to the Lord. Right? Because I don't, I don't think in our laments, by the way, we can ever make accusatory statements to the Lord. Like we can raise our fist at him. But I think we can bring our questions to him. And I think there was part of that was going on in my own heart. But part of it was just a lot of, a lot of unbelief. I was, I, was in a, I was in a dark spot. And I am grateful for Allison. My wife was there every day and she was reading the Psalms to me. But man, I was, I was down. And I think as I look back, I think that was maybe probably one of the darkest, hardest weeks of my life. And as you hear me share, you may go, man, but I've had a week that's, maybe your week's been harder than that, or a week in your life that's been harder than that. See, we, we face difficult things, and when you're in a spot like that where you feel so down, and you just, maybe you feel abandoned by the Lord, or if you think things like, maybe you don't even exist, like, are you, are you really here? What do you do in those moments when you feel so down? I mean, what does David do here? Is David just going to say, all right, Lord, I'm done. I'm walking away because I'm asking and you're not answering. Therefore, I'm going to walk away. Is that what David's going to do? I mean, what, what do you do in the heart? Do you, do you just walk away? And maybe, and hey, what'd you say? Call on. That's right. That's right. That's a, that's a great place to go. See, I think that sometimes in the heart, it's easy. And some of you may be tempted this morning and maybe you're watching online. Just, you're just going to walk away. And if you walk away, please understand, you will continue to experience sorrow. And I just want to simply plead with you, if you're going to experience sorrow either way, why not walk with Jesus in the midst of the sorrow? Because he's the man of sorrows, and he's acquainted with grief. Right? Why, if I, I'm going to experience hard either way, I don't want to walk away from him. I want to walk with him. I want to look to him. And that's where David takes us in this psalm. And that's what makes this psalm so good. Because if it ends in four, these four verses, wow. Like, that's pretty, that's pretty dark. But he, he shifts, and I think something is happening here in his perspective. Because watch this. Look what he says. He says, but. But, which there's a, there's a there's contrast happening here. There's, a, there's, there's hope. Like I see the word but in the Bible and I'm like, man, this is, this, this is moving in the direction of hope. We're moving out of darkness and we're moving, man, there's something good happening here. And just before we read the whole verse, I think it's good to notice that David doesn't say the word if. 
He doesn't say, if you heal me, then I'll do this. He doesn't say the word now, like now that you do this, God, or this is what I'm going to do. He doesn't say, when you do this, when you eliminate Saul or my enemies from my life, then this is what I'll do. No, David says, but. David says, but. See, I don't, I don't think David believes in some sort of like a prosperity theology. That if he just believes enough, God will heal him or change his circumstance. And I think God cares more about David's holiness than David's happiness. And God is using the heart in David's life so that he would seek him. See, God knows for David that for David, Psalm 84, that better is one day in his house than a thousand days elsewhere. And David is, or God is using the heart in David's life to draw him to seek him to him, or to, for, for, for David to seek him out. And I think that it's very good here to just point out that God never promises us no pain or no sorrow. But he does promise, as we see like in Romans 8, 28 and 29, to use the heart in our life to conform us, to make us more like him. So David says, but. He says, but, because he is making a contrast between his circumstances and what he's about to declare. And what he's about to declare is this, but I have, and what's the next word? Trusted in your loving kindness, and my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. And I've written down in my notes is that I, what God does with David, I want him to do with us. I want to be moved to this place of trust. I want to be moved towards where I can say, but despite what's going on. David is declaring trust in the character of God, not in the change of his circumstance, because no, nowhere in this psalm do we see David's circumstances changing. As I heard one pastor say, Brian Loritz, is that David is moving in the first few words, he's moving from how he feels about God to what he knows about God. And what he knows about God, man, you're, you're faithful, I can trust you. And David is saying, I'm gonna trust, rejoice, and sing. And he's gonna trust, rejoice, and sing because of what the Lord's done. So he's trusting the Lord. And he's trusting in the Lord because of the last verse. He's trusting the Lord because he says, I, or I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. David says, I'm going to trust, rejoice, and sing because I know that you've been good to me. I know that you've been faithful. And I asked myself, man, where did David experience the faith, or where did, da yeah, where did David experience God to be faithful? And I'm like, man, one place to go would just be 1 Samuel 16 where God's looking for a new king and and God looks at him and says, that, that, that little brother right there, because he's going to become a man after my own heart. That God loved David before David loved God. And God was pursuing David. And so David just is thinking back and being reminded of, man, God, you have been faithful to me. And then David knew that beyond his own life, that one of the great salvation moments in, in the history in the Old Testament that God brought them out of slavery, the Israelites, he, got, he brought them out of slavery through the wilderness and into the promised land. David is saying, man, but, but I, I can trust because I know how I've seen God to be faithful in the past. And so as I'm teaching this morning, not, I, like, no, no Bible teacher can promise a change in circumstance, 
but we can point you to this firm foundation. We can point you to where David is pointing us in verses five and six. And a lot of us in this room, in the midst of your heart, you, you may want a change. I just want my circumstances to change. And obviously, as you heard in my, the story with cancer, the circumstance has changed. But what happens in the midst of your heart where you're asking of the Lord and you feel like, or not feel like, it just your circumstances aren't changing? What do you do? And I know that's been part of the journey that my wife and I have walked through. That we have faced a circumstance where we've asked the Lord to work, and sometimes it feels like the Lord is not working. And I want to show you the, the heart that I'm referring to. Uh, man, she's a great blessing. I love her smile. This is our daughter, Chloe. So she is four years old. She goes to Manor and Oaks. And uh, man, she is such a blessing. Gift from the Lord. Her smile just brightens my day. Here's a picture of her in our backyard. Love her little sunglasses here, swinging. And so, man, she is just a gift. And uh, my wife, Allison, is here. And so Allison's going to come up and just share uh, a little bit about something that she wrote. And so, yeah, come on up. So what I want Allison to do, if Psalm 13, we've kind of got David's journal of what David is writing, pouring his heart out to the Lord. So he was kind of like a modern-day journal of, of what my wife has written out. As I read David's lament in Psalm 13, it brings me back to my own moments of how long, O oh Lord, in our journey with Chloe. My own journal entries reflect the same desperate pleas as David's as we walked the hard road of her developmental regression. <clears throat> the challenges started in infancy when Chloe began to be late hitting milestones and stopped gaining weight well. In my written prayers, I wrestled with the anxiety of what in the world was going on and fears of what it could mean for her future. We greatly rejoiced when she started walking at 20 months, finally. But things quickly turn, took a difficult turn. She started pulling out her hair. She lost the few words that she would say, and her right hand stopped working. Through this, we cried out, how long will this last, Lord? How long until we find answers and can fix whatever's wrong? How long until you intervene and bring healing and wholeness? Chloe's sleep began to suffer even more. She experienced a series of seizures, and her frustration at what was happening in her own little body was expressed in daily fits of screaming. Lord, are you deaf to our prayers? How long until we find rest? We received her diagnosis of Rett syndrome just before her third birthday. There's no cure, and her disability will continue to affect many of the daily routines and decisions of our family. Lord, this is too hard. Lord, we feel like it will overcome us. Lord, we are not okay. But as I look at the same journal entries throughout the journey, I also see the truths that I was declaring so that trust would be worked in my heart. We trust that God is sovereign. We are not forgotten. He is working for good, even in this. By sharing in his sufferings, he's making us more like Christ. He has not fallen off his throne. Now, as we've moved from the rawness of the heartache to the daily reality, he strengthens us as we trust him to do so. And we sing because he has dealt bountifully with us, and here are the ways we have seen it. Before we knew the significance of Chloe's challenges, God provided a house for us that suits her needs and abilities. There are no stairs she can trip on. God has provided a special chair, a safe bed, and a speech device, all at no cost to us. God has provided people, friends, a church family to walk with us and serve and give to us in so many countless ways. God has provided a school that Chloe loves and a teacher who is a fellow believer. 
Despite the hard moments, Chloe brings a joy to us and to others through her smile and her laugh, and she loves her people. Mm-hmm. Most recently, God gave Jonathan a clear pathology report, but even in that, there was a gift that was given to us through Chloe. You see, in Chloe's diagnosis and her genetic testing, we learned some information about Jonathan, that he may be predisposed to certain types of cancers. This gave us an urgency to seek the medical attention quickly and aggressively when his symptoms arose. So when the how long moments come back, and they do, and they will, I rehearse the truths and the experiences that have caused me to trust him thus far, and these things allow me to say, even in this, he is faithful. I remember when I got out of the hospital, there were just several moments of just looking at Chloe in the eyes and saying, hey, you're such a gift. Because I, what Allison shared there at the end, there's things that we found out that really caused us to act with urgency. It's like, so I, I, I look back on that day that we received the diagnosis of Rent syndrome. And I look back at the day of getting colon cancer and I'm going, man, God is sovereign. Like God has really been good to, to us. And there's a quote that... Um, kind of connected there with what Allison was saying, but in our laments, we express the sorrow that we feel, but we also rehearse the truths that we believe. And that's where my wife has been such a gift to me. We, we rehearse the, the truths that we believe. And so I, I do, we do recognize that, Allison and I, with, with, with sensitivity, that there's hearts in this room that, um, I, I, again, I mean, it, it's difficult, but we just want to simply go, we're learning to trust in the Lord. And you may go, what does that actually look like? And I think, I think trust for us at the home is we keep talking to the Lord. I don't want to be silent to the Lord. I don't want to be silent to the one who speaks to my heart. You know? And so I, uh, the, the pain runs deep, but man, I, I believe that God is at, at work and he's faithful to bring uh, truth to mine. And when I have unbelief, I confess that to the Lord and I say, Lord, teach me, teach me how to trust. And I ask that because I know he's been faithful. As I look at this verse here, look back at it one more time in verse 5. But I've trusted in your loving kindness. that You've been faithful. And I love how David directs us here. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. And obviously we understand salvation way more clearly than David did because we live on the, on the, on the other side of the cross. We look back at what, what Christ has accomplished for us. And I think I, of passages like, Romans 5, where Paul exhorts us to rejoice in our, in our salvation. And so in the heart, I want to go back to the moment where God has been most, most faithful is at the cross. You know, as I, I think back to that last day in the hospital when the, the surgeon walked in, and he said, I got two great news for you. The surgeon said, you're going to get out of the hospital today? And we we're like, man, awesome, because I want to get out of here. Like, I want to go home. And then he said, but, but I, have, I have great news that's going to lift your spirits. So he said, hey, the pathology report came back. It's clear. The cancer hasn't spread, and you're not going to need chemo. And I was just like, of course I was relieved. I was so exhausted. I, was, I, had, I had like no energy. But that was, that was great news. And it wasn't that day, but it was a few weeks later. I was actually reminded, as I thought back to that moment, I was like, okay, that was, that was one of the biggest moments of my life, to hear that news. But I received greater news that have lifted my spirit in a much different way. Right, Because I remember before going into surgery, Luke Deanfield, one of our college students, he walked up to me, he put his hands on my shoulders, and he said, hey, Jay Monk, he said, your greatest problem has already been solved. And you see that? He's pointing me back to my salvation in the midst of the heart. That 
And, and even, even I want to tell myself this, that even if I'd received bad news at the hospital, there's still good news in the gospel. And that before trusting in Christ, my greatest problem was I needed to be reconciled to God. And I'm not making light of this, but my greatest problem was not cancer. It, it hasn't been, nor will it ever be that. And my greatest problem is not the challenges that we're walking through with Chloe. Again, I'm not trying to be, um, to be light of this, but your greatest problem is not the hard going on in your own life. The greatest problem is we need to be reconciled to God. And God sent Jesus to be our rescuer. And we see that God sends Jesus, Jesus comes, and where we wrestle to trust God, and sometimes we trust and sometimes we don't, Jesus trusted the Father perfectly. And when Jesus taught, man, people were astonished at his teaching. And he would teach, and they would be like, man, no man spoke like that. And people loved him, but other people hated him. And they, and they put him on a cross, right, put a th- crown of thorns on his head. And as Jesus hangs on the cross, do you remember the, uh, some of the words that Jesus says? Jesus hangs on the cross, and Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus prays a lament. Because in that moment, the father was turning his face away and the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. And Jesus was dying a death for, for not himself, but for other people. He was absorbing the sin of the world. And right before Jesus dies, he says, it is finished, right? Greatest problem is solved as I trust in him. And so the cross reminds me that my greatest problem has been solved. And now even in the heart, I can still experience joy in Jesus. The cross, my salvation, my salvation reminds me that God is for me, not against me. The cross reminds me that I can move from being under condemnation to now saying there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. See, we come back to our salvation in the heart because this is our hope. As believers, this is our hope. And if you're an unbeliever in this room or you're watching online, this can be your hope. That you're walking through the unimaginable, and you're experiencing great sorrow and grief, and yet you don't know Christ. And we as a body of believers, we would simply urge you out of love, and we would plead with you to look to Jesus because he's the man of sorrows. He's well acquainted with grief, and he can take it. And we don't receive salvation by achieving it. We receive it. So I'd simply say, look, look to Christ. Confess your sin Trust in the one who died for your sin. Look to him. And for those of us who have trusted in Christ, I mean, we now have his spirit in us. He sets us free to walk in the newness of life because Christ lives in me or in you. We can put to death the deeds of the flesh. And I think about Philippians 3, that now as a Christ follower, his spirit lives in me. Philippians 3.10 says that I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing his sufferings. That now as you and I suffer, we don't suffer meaningless, but there is a sense in which through my suffering, I'm becoming more like Christ. Romans 8.19, someone shared this verse with me in the hospital. The sufferings of this present time don't compare with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And as we sang earlier with the song, Christ Be Magnified, if I join you in the sufferings, then I'll join you when you rise. That's great power to declare. So there is great, great news in the gospel, in the heart that can really lift our our spirits. And what a great psalm this is. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. 
but I've trusted in your steadfast love and my heart rejoices in your salvation. And I'm going to sing to the Lord because he's dealt bountifully with me. He's dealt bount- He's been good to us. And so I want to invite the band, the worship team to come up. We're going to close with a song. And as they're coming up, I want to give you a chance to respond by just writing out a statement. And maybe this can, you can kind of connect this back to your how long that you wrote down earlier. But I will trust because he has. I will trust, and maybe you can write this down. I will trust because he has, he's changed my heart. Or you could say, I will trust because he solved my greatest problem. Or maybe you could write this one down. This is what, what Alice and I would write. I will trust because he's provided a chair, a bed, a communication device for my daughter, and a community of believers. Or the other day, someone shared this to me on Thursday. I will trust because he healed me physically. I will trust because he removed a brain tumor. Or someone else shared this on Thursday. I will trust because he has saved my kids. And so let's simply finish this morning looking back to going, Lord, help me trust, but I'm choosing to trust you based on what you have already done. And may this song be a, that we sing now just be a, a sense of encouragement. As we finish with a song of praise, you know, a lament as we've looked at this morning, some people have thought that it's like, um, it's the opposite of praise, but a lament is leading us to praise. And I think we resonate with David and we wanna to sing to the Lord because he has been good to us. And so the song that we're about to, gonna, uh, we're gonna sing, I wanna uh, draw your attention to a few words in this song where this song is gonna say, we're gonna speak to our fear and we're gonna preach to our doubt. Why? Because he was faithful then and he'll be faithful now. Let's go ahead and stand and sing this song. Oh,
God's faithfulness all through this year in, in different ways. And I, and I hope that you would, as Jonathan invited. On Tuesday night, I want to remind you to come. And let's come. If you're ready to share something, we can all be encouraged by, by the faithfulness of God. And we can respond with gratitude. That's what we're going to gather uh, to do together before we launch into the holiday season. So I hope you'll do that. And if we can pray for you this morning, uh, one-on-one, there are men and women available between the auditoriums who are there to pray with you. So I hope you'll do that. And I hope I'll see you Tuesday night. Have a great rest of the weekend. God bless.